0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When I first came to St Luke's eight years ago, um, one of the things I was struck by was the form of words that we use in our services here. It was quite clearly an Anglican service with a structure and a form that I recognised, but I'd never heard a form of liturgy quite like this. I was brought up going to a church where, even if it wasn't the full Smells and Bells experience, we used the Book of Common Prayer with its beautiful poetry, even though its meaning is sometimes a bit obscure. Coming to St. Luke's was quite a contrast. It was especially the form of confession that struck me. I was used to the form of confession in the Book of Common Prayer, which goes, And it goes on in in that vein. I was used to reciting that confession, I mean, quite honestly, without really thinking about it. I mean, I could could probably still do it without the words in front of me now. So it was really a bit of a surprise to read the type of confession that we use here at St. Luke's. No obscure language, pretty clear meaning, and generally quite easy to understand and apply to my everyday life we look at the confession that we used earlier this, in the service this morning. Um, oh, God, we bring you our failure, our hunger, our disappointment, our despair, our greed, our aloofness, our loneliness, all really straightforward. I understand that. That means something to me. But then we get onto that final line and teach us, women and men, to use our power with care. I was puzzled. What's that got to do with me? I'm sure I wasn't the first person to read those words and and think. What's that? What's that about? What power have I got? I don't know about you, but generally I don't feel as though I have much power. And sometimes I end up just saying the words without really thinking about what they mean, just like I did with the Book of Common Prayer Version. The two stories we heard this morning both have something to say about power. They have something to say about women too, but principally they have something to say about power. In John's Gospel, um, the Pharisees, or the religious police of the time, they use the power they have to haul up a woman who we're told has been caught in adultery, sometimes translated as being in bed with a man who was not her husband. We aren't told any more about her situation, simply that she was caught in adultery. We don't know if she was a willing partner or the victim of a serious sexual assault. The religious police in this story don't use their power to accuse the man involved, oh no, just this woman. They try to use their authority to trap Jesus into agreeing that she should be stoned to death. But Jesus is far too smart for that. He doesn't argue. He doesn't ask questions. He doesn't conduct an investigation, trying to find out who did what, when. Jesus just says effectively, "Anyone of you think they're perfect? Bring it on. Come on, you know, if you think you're perfect, you throw the first stone at her. He takes their power and authority and turns it right back onto them. He says, I'm not here to condemn. On your way. But it's Delilah I'm really interested in. The story of Sansom and Delilah that Adrian read so beautifully to us this morning. It's so familiar to us, from Sunday school, from films. It's the story of the world's strongest man, a man of extraordinary physical power, and a woman, Delilah, Samson was a great fighter for the Israelites. We're told in earlier chapters that he killed a lion with his bare hands. By the point of this story, he's led the Israelites against the Philistines for 20 years. At one point, he apparently captured 100 foxes and used them to set light to the fields of corn that belonged to the Philistines, destroying their harvest. He had physical strength and military tactics. He was really a force to be reckoned with. No wonder the Philistines wanted to be rid of him. Sansom liked women. He'd been married and at the start of this chapter we're told he'd been visiting a prostitute. The Philistines tried to trap him there. So he escaped by ripping out the city gates together with the gateposts and carrying them away on his shoulders. And then Delilah comes along and Sansom falls in love with her. We don't know a whole lot about Delilah. She's a woman, not an Israelite. She's paid an extraordinary amount of money by the Philistines to find out the secrets of Sansom's strength. They offer her a really eye-watering amount of silver to do this bit of international spying for them. I have a really clear picture of Delilah in my mind. She's got dark hair, lovely curvy figure, She's a bit gorgeous, with something special about her. In my mind, I see her as as quite a lot, like our Tara. Our Tara. And like Tara, she's pretty straightforward. (laughs) So yeah, like Tara, she's pretty straightforward. She doesn't sneak about, she doesn't beat about the bush. She just says to Sansom, please, tell me the secret of your strength. Three times she asks him, and three times he tells her something different. First it's the seven fresh thongs, then the new ropes, then weaving his hair into braids. Each time she tries it out, then calls the Philistines in to capture Sansom, and each time he breaks free. By this point, he knows exactly why she's asking him that question, tell me the secret of your strength. He knows exactly what's going on because she's done it three times. In the end, she has a bit of a tantrum. She how can you say you love me if you won't tell me the truth? And despite knowing exactly what Delilah will do, Sansom is powerless to hold back the truth. He tells Delilah that his strength lies in his hair. If his head is shaved, he'll lose his strength. Straight away, true to form, she calls a barber to shave his head, then calls in the Philistines. This time, they capture him. He's captured and blinded. He's paraded in in the house as an an exhibit for, for the people. But by this time, his strength has returned. And he uses that formidable physical power he has to bring down the pillars, destroying the house and killing himself and all the people around him. Such power, such destruction. Despite his immense physical power, Samson is overcome by a woman because of the very specific power that she holds over him. He's in love with her, which gives her total power over him, power which eventually kills him. In this story, we're really strongly invited to disapprove of Delilah. Even her name, Delilah, means faithless woman. She was no friend to the Israelites, and it is, after all, their story that's being told in the Old Testament but I've got some respect for her. She was given a job to do and she got on and did it. Nobody would have described her as a powerful woman and there was no way that she could beat Samson on his own terms using physical strength. The Philistines had tried that for years and failed. She couldn't exactly hit him or arm wrestle him for the information she needed. So she used her own strengths, the very personal power that she had over this man. And she was persistent. The Bible says she nagged him. Meh, I read this as sticking to the job in hand until she had it done. And in the end, she got the better of him. So, what do these stories have to say to us about power, about our power, and how we use it? Most of us aren't super strong men like Samson, or femme fatale, or paid spies like Delilah. And I'm guessing that none of us will identify with the religious police in John's Gospel. So what power do we have? There are lots of possible answers to that question. We have economic power, democratic power. We can sign petitions, write to our MPs. We have, we have lots of, of, of those sorts of, of powers. But I want to look at Delilah's example. Like Delilah, we have power that comes from our relationships with other people. In some cases, this power is really obvious. If we're parents, we have clear power over our children, for example. But in other situations, it's more subtle. All of us in our community here at St Luke's have a personal relationship with other members of the community. We have power in our relationships with those people and with our friends and our neighbours. Indeed, with all the people that we meet. And this is the power that we need to use with care. Our words and our actions are the instruments of this power. We can use our words to build people up or to knock them down. We have the power to encourage the people around us or to criticise them. These are the choices that we make. Sometimes we use our powerful words to big ourselves up. Look how important I am. And by bigging ourselves up, we seek often unintentionally to diminish others. We don't mean it that way, but of course, if I'm so great, then it follows that you're not quite so great. Sometimes we withhold words, deliberately ignoring somebody, sending them to Coventry children do it in the playground but adults sometimes do it too I've lost count of the number of times I've, I've been in various different church communities and somebody's told me oh so and so doesn't speak to me we can use our power to diminish as well as to build up when I worked in a university in student welfare the most powerful words that I knew were I'm a bit concerned about you Are you okay? Sometimes we ask, how are you? Expecting the answer, fine, I'm all right, yeah, fine. We don't really want the honest answer. We don't really ask. I'm a bit concerned, are you okay? You know, are you really okay? Reframing that question with real interest and listening properly to the answer is a powerful thing. Our words have power for other people. Our actions have power too. A smile, a touch on the arm at the right time and in the right way can be instruments of encouragement and more. One of my pet subjects is the power of affectionate touch to stimulate production of the hormone oxytocin. Oxytocin is a hormone of trust, well-being and social cohesion. A hug from the right person at the right time boosts our oxytocin, increases our trust, increases our well-being. But of course, it has to be a welcome touch. It has to be perceived as affectionate, not just intended that way. Sometimes a large muscular presence standing too close can be very intimidating, however unintentional that is. And we don't always realize the impact that our words and our actions have. A wise crack remark meant as a joke that ends up hurting feelings. An unwelcome physical closeness (coughs) that ever-contentious issue of whether or not to hug other people during the peace. A sharp comment made through impatience that discourages another person. Delilah knew exactly what she was doing. She was totally aware of of her power, and she used it to get the end that she wanted. We're all too often completely unaware of the effects that our words and our actions have. We bumble along, usually well-meaning, but often completely unaware of the impact that we have on other people. We all need to develop a greater sensitivity to others, an awareness and a concern for the effects we're having. We need to work out what power we have so that we can actively choose to follow the example of Jesus not hurt or diminish others, but to build them up and encourage them. And that is why we pray, teach us, women and men, to use our power with care. Amen.